0: Well, thanks, Van. I'd invite you to grab a seat, relax. Hey, uh, as Emma's uh, wheeling this TV out, just so I kind of um, know what sort of audience uh, and room we're dealing with, could you just do me a favor? Could you raise your hand if you're a How I Met Your Mother fan? If you're a How I Met Your Mother fan, just raise it in the hand. Okay. So there's like, of the room is How I Met Your Mother fan. Good, because I'm not a How I Met Your Mother fan either, so the rest of us, we're kind of in this together. Um, I kind of dabble in How I Met Your Mother. Like, I I dabble in it in the sense of, like, I've watched enough episodes to kind of understand who the characters are, what their story is about, but I haven't watched enough episodes to kind of figure out what the yellow umbrella means, right? And if you've, you've watched the show, you would know there's a yellow umbrella. I don't know what that means. If you're like me and you haven't watched the show, You've just got no idea like me what the yellow umbrella is but the thing i love about how i met your mother is there's um one particular episode that i was dabbling in where they talked about this thing um, called a glass shattering moment now a glass shattering moment is a specific moment in time when you realize a, a quirk or habit of a fellow human being that you cannot unsee or hear for the rest of your life. Now they're looking at it in a relational context, like you're dating someone and you start to realize that they always chew with their mouth open and it's just the loudest noise ever. Once you see that, you can't unsee it, you can't unhear it, and it's just gonna bug you for the rest of your life. Um, And I wanted to sort of share with you tonight as we launch this new series, um, a glass shattering moment that I had in my life. This wasn't though um, something like the show says where it was looking at someone else. Uh, This was a glass shattering moment that I actually had about myself. Um, and this happened uh, about a year ago, so about a year ago in like either, it was either late December, early January um, of last year, my brother texts me, and I get this text from my brother, and it's a photograph, and I was like, oh, awesome, because he just got married, they were kind of getting the wedding photos back, they're looking at the photos, and like, oh, like, this is so cool, and this is the photo that he sent me, it'll come up on the screen as well, this is the photo that he sent me, I thought, oh, this is such a nice photo, And I wanted to share with you like what was going on in this picture at this time because that's the the guy on the far left, his name's Nathan. He was like uh, the pastor that was marrying my brother and his wife. And this is my brother. He has literally just seen the doors of the church open and he's just seen his bride start to walk towards him. He's just got this massive grin on his face. And I've got this grin on my face because all the grooms, when we had a bet whether he was going to cry or not, and I said he wasn't and he's not crying. So I was like pretty happy. I was like, yes, I'm going to win this bet. But my brother texts this to me, and I thought, oh, that's, that's lovely. Like, I'm remembering this moment. I was like, oh, this is a cool moment. You know, you were, you were looking at your wife as she's walking down. Oh, how good. And so, I, you know, I, I don't remember exactly what I text back, but I texted back something, like, something along the lines of like, oh, this is a great photo. And he responds, yeah, it would be if your nose wasn't taken up half the picture. And I started to zoom in on the picture. And I realized, like, we can get this up on the bigger screen. I realized that my friend here is actually having to look around the back of me. And I'm assuming the only reason he's looking around the back is because he can't see my brother because of my massive nose. And I've gone 29 years of my life without realising I've got a whopper schnoz, like stuck on the front of me. And now I can't like, even now when I'm like walking across stage, I've kind of got a shuffle because if I turn side profile, like <laughs> I'm like, whoa, where'd Pinocchio come from? And it's just, I, I, I didn't know that. And I was like, where, where did this come from? That was, a, that was my glass shattering moment. We should probably get rid of that off the screen. No one needs to uh, see that. And you're probably asking yourself like, why are we talking about your big nose? Like, this is not what I expected. If it's, if it's your first time here, um, I want you to know we're so glad you're here, but it's probably not what you expected. Um, but I will promise I'll tell you why we're talking about my nose in a second. Um, because the reason that we're sort of talking about this is because tonight we're launching a brand new series um, called Scary Close. And for the next few weeks, we're gonna talk all about um, relationships. Not just romantic relationships, we're going to talk about friendships, we're going to talk about relationships with your bosses, we're just going to talk relationships in general. And the reason that we're talking about this is simply because when you're good at relationships, you're good at life, right? You know this intuitively, you don't need me to point this out to you, um, but you know that when, when your relationships in life are going well, that life uh, generally is going well for you. Are we going to need to, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Thanks guys, Cheers. Our tech team's awesome. They were just on that so quick. Um, When you're good at relationships, you're often good at life. You know, um, when, when when things are going well at work, when things are going well at home, when things with your boyfriend or your girlfriend are going really, really well, usually life just feels a little bit better. Life just feels a little bit breezier. It seems a little bit easy. Yet when you've just gone through a breakup... When you've had a, a friendship kind of breakdown, there's some tension, there's some ice. When when you're in a work environment, or you're in a a, a group assignment at uni, and you just look and you like have, you see the list of people, and you're like oh not that person, like they never do they never do their work, they always just bludge. Life just gets a little bit more difficult when the relationships in our life are not that great. And so I'm going to talk about that for the next couple of weeks. Um, in part three, you do not want to miss part three. Part three, we're actually going to take all of your questions throughout the week on, um, on Instagram and social media on the weeks to come. We're just going to ask you, hey, what are your relationship questions? What are the things that you struggle, struggle at when it comes to friendships? Is it, is it setting boundaries? Is it um, always trying to rescue someone? What is it? And we're actually going to have a panel and they're going to answer and they're going to dialogue around your questions. So you're not going to want to miss that. In part four, we're going to wrap this series up. I'm going to talk about the one thing that we think, as a community, is the best decision that you can make in terms of um, having the having fantastic and phenomenal relationships in life. Um, but tonight and next week is kind of they kind of go together. One of our other communicators, Riley, he's going to come up and he's going to talk about the antidote to what we're talking about tonight. Because tonight, the reason I wanted to kind of put my big whopper on the screen for all of you to think about is because what we're going to talk about is the number one thing. That can stand in the way of you and great relationships it will be the biggest thing in your life that stands in the way of you and having healthy great relationships and if you don't have great relationships and it's really difficult to be great or have a good life and the reason that i want to kind of talk to you about this thing is because as soon as i say it a name is going to come to mind a face is going to come to mind and it's not going to be yours all right and, and I'm not saying, because as soon as I say this word that we're going to address and this thing we're going to address tonight, you're going to think of your boss. You're going to think of your brother. You're going to think of your sister. You're going to think of your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife or your mum or your dad or whoever. Now, I just want to be really clear. I'm not saying this person doesn't have this thing. But just for the next couple of minutes that we're here together, what I want you to do is I just want to look at, I want you to look at this big relational um, tension or barrier through your lens. And the thing that gets in the way of us having great relationships is this thing. Insecurity. Insecurity is this thing that just gets in the way. Just like my whopper schnoz gets in the way of great photos, insecurity will get in the way of great relationships. And the reason that insecurity gets in the way of you being great at relationships is because insecurity uh, challenges you and forces you to begin to look insecure side and you become focused on you and when you are focused on you and what's going on in your life it is really difficult to care and have a healthy relationship with someone who's sitting across the table from you and the reason that we're talking about insecurity and we're launching our conversation um, or series around insecurity is really because insecurity it will limit your relational capacity it will limit the depth that you can go in relationships. It will limit the, um, the breadth of friendships you will have. It will sabotage and it will show up in a whole heap of different areas in your life. And it will limit the capacity you have to be good at relationships and be good at life. Now, like I said, there's this tension for so many of us that when we hear this word insecurity, we start to think of other people. So what I wanted to do to sort of get us on the same page is I wanted to look at some ways in which we can see insecurity and action in our own lives. Because the insecurity that I'm talking about is not this insecurity that gets you so obsessed that you're constantly thinking about it. The insecurities that I'm talking about are the things that you don't realize until they're pointed out to you. The things that you can go through life 29 years without realizing you had right on your nose and then someone points it out to it and you have a glass shattering moment. So you can see um, insecurity in action in your life or in the lives of others if uh, you struggle with the success of others. If you really struggle to celebrate others, if you really struggle to put others in the spotlight, that might be some insecurity in action in your life. Because insecurity, like we said, it doesn't like the spotlight on other people. It wants to hog it for itself. Another way that that you might see some insecurity in action is um, social media can determine your mood. You wake up, you've got like 14 hours of sleep, you're ready to go, you've had a, you, you're ready to tackle the day and then you open your Facebook or your TikTok or your Instagram and someone's left a comment or someone who should have left a comment didn't leave a comment or someone commented on someone else's photo or someone shared that photo that you told them not to. You told them to undo the tag and delete it. And all of a sudden in that moment, it changed and it altered your mood for the rest of the day. What is that? That thing that rises up, that thing that causes you to change your mood is actually insecurity in action. Another way we see insecurity in action is we struggle to be honest in relationships. Well, being honest in relationships is difficult for you. And, and here's the thing with this, is that you really genuinely want an honest relationship. You really genuinely want a relationship where the other person knows everything about you and you know everything about them. But insecurity says, well... If you told them what you did, if you told them what you were like, if you told them your political views, if you told them your view on that particular issue, they won't not like you. They won't like you anymore. And so then what you do is you don't tell a full out lie, but you just kind of like bend the truth a little bit. And it becomes really difficult for you to be honest in relationships when insecurity arises. Another way we see insecurity in action is um, we blame others more than accept responsibility. Because insecurity doesn't like to stick its hand up and say, yeah, no, that was, that was on me. That was, I completely missed the deadline. Yeah, you know what? I, I completely forgot to give you the address of where we're going. That's my bad. Instead, insecurity likes to deflect. It likes to say, well, it's your fault that you didn't text me. It's your fault that you didn't send me a reminder. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Here's another way. You resist feedback slash having difficult conversations. Personally, this is one of the biggest ones that I've, I've struggled with that particularly the resisting feedback side of things like you just have to ask my wife she will just tell you like the first three years that we were married it was just like don't give Chris feedback okay it's it's," and I'm like but I want to be a better husband she's like but you don't listen to feedback I'm like yeah but anyway so I'm like I was like caught in this like trap and so like I've actually had to be really really deliberate and really really conscious about how can I put things in place in my life so that I'm actually open to feedback and you, you probably, you wouldn't know this, but one of the really practical ways that I do that and, um, and our, communi- our team as communicators, we do that, is before we ever step up to give a message, the message that I'm given has been distributed to a whole team of people who have run their eyes over it and given feedback over everything that we're going to say. And in fact, just so it, this is really practical for you, um, I actually had a different heading up here tonight on my original draft that went out. And one of our, actually the communicator at Riley, he's going to be up here next week, you get to meet him. He called me up and he was like, Chris, I, sh- I need to talk about that transition and I need to talk about that, that thing, that, that label that you had up because I, sh- I don't think people are going to connect with it. I don't think people are going to understand what you're talking about. I don't think it's going to make sense. It would be much better if you had insecurity in action up there and if people could begin to think about that. Another way you might see some insecurity in action is when others' opinions about you dictate how you feel about you. But everyone has an opinion About a lot of stuff. And a lot of people might have an opinion of you or some thoughts about you. And that's not a bad thing, that's just the way life is. But we see insecurity in action when you find out what someone's opinion about you is, and all of a sudden it changes how you see yourself and how you view yourself. And that's not a fun place to be in. And I actually don't want that for you. And this is the final one is that you see insecurity in action when you're influenced more than you're an influencer someone who's always influenced is someone who's constantly trying to fit in you know those people who they they change the way they talk they change the things they like depending on the social group that they're in they're constantly being influenced by the people around them but people who are secure people who are comfortable in their own skin they don't feel the need to be influenced because they know who they are. And so maybe you might see some insecurity in action if you're influenced more than you're an influencer. Now, now I don't go through this kind of whole list to kind of make you feel bad and kind of just point out, be like, oh my goodness, you're super, super insecure. That's not why I went through this at all. The reason I just went through this is just so simply, we could all see that we're a little more insecure than we think, right? All of us, all of us have different parts of our life where we're a little more insecure than we think or that we care to admit. But we really need to understand those areas of our lives that we are insecure, because they're the areas of our lives that are gonna prevent you and gonna prevent me from having great relationships. And so what I wanna do is, is I want us to address it tonight. I wanna address our insecurities. I want us to name them and shame them. I want them to stop being something that holds you back from great relationships. But in order to do that, I want to look at someone's life who actually didn't address their insecurities. I want to look at someone's life because sometimes when it just, when someone stands up here and says, hey, address your insecurities, you're kind of like, "Eh, I don't really see why. And so I wanted to show you the life of someone who went through a long period of time before they addressed theirs so you can see the consequences. And the person whose life I want to look at is this guy called Moses. And Moses um, lived and, and the events that we're going to talk about tonight actually happened in this period of history from 1446 to 1404 B.C. So around about three and a half thousand years ago, these events happened. And just to give you some context around Moses and who he was and where we're diving into the story, is that Moses was actually a part of this nation at the time, but not really a nation as we would understand a nation really more like a tribe or a clan or a big group of people. And, and Moses' tribe or his clan was known as Israel. And Israel, long before Moses um, came onto the scene, in fact, 430 years before Moses came on the scene, the nation of Israel moved because of severe famines in the land and they moved from where they were living and they ended up residing in the largest empire the world knew at that point in time, the Egyptian Empire. And it wasn't as if they like, you know, we kind of think like they had to cross borders or anything like that. Like they didn't, they just moved to a better piece of ground. And it just happened that that piece of ground was occupied by the Egyptian empire. And they were there for 430 years. And for 430 years, they grew and they grew and they grew and they grew. And the Egyptian pharaohs paid attention to this little tiny nation tribe begin to grow. And it's important to understand that at that time in culture, like barbarism was the way things were done. This is like the Bronze Age. This is a late part of the Bronze Age. And so barbarism is the way that people went about things, which really meant if you were bigger, if you were stronger, and if you were tougher, and your nation wanted something that another nation had, you could go and take it and no one could stop you. And so the Egyptian pharaohs, they saw this nation of Israel growing and they didn't want to lose what they had. And so they did what so many nations did back in that day, is they actually went in and they invaded Israel and they made Israel their slaves. And they put them to work, this really hard work, building and uh, 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 making temples and building all their roads and their infrastructure. And Moses steps onto the scene when his people have been enslaved. And Moses steps onto the scene and is born at a particular time in history where the pharaoh called the III saw the nation of Israel continue to grow even under slavery. And so he did something today that we would look at and we would just say, that is absolutely barbaric. And you're right, because they lived in barbaric times. He decided that he was going to stop the spread and the growth of Israel. And so he sent out a decree that any Israelite boy that was born was to be murdered. They were not, they were not to allow, they were not allowed, they weren't allowed to stay with their parents, they would be murdered straight away. And Moses' mother and father, we we don't know their names, their names are lost to history, but Moses's mother and father gave birth to this boy. And they held him and they kept him secret in their house for three months, which is really about as long as they could possibly do it. And then Moses' mother had to make this gut-wrenching decision. Do I leave my son here? where he will face certain death? Or do I try another option that might end in death, but it it also might give him a hope to survive? And so what she did is she made the really difficult decision to make a basket out of reeds, and she waterproofed it with tar. And she put her three-month-old baby son in it. And she walked it down to the Nile River. And she left it there amongst the reeds, in the hope that maybe... Moses would get carried downstream and maybe he would have a hope of a better life with another tribe somewhere else. And Moses' sister sees this happen and she follows her parents and she watches her parents drop Moses in the reeds. And she can't bear the sword of going home, so she actually sits in the reeds and watches. And a few hours pass and later that afternoon, the daughter of the Pharaoh comes down to bathe in the in the river with all her assistance and she hears the screaming of this baby from this basket that's stuck in the reeds and so she walks over and she discovers that there's a hebrew or there's an israelite child in this basket and we don't know why but she actually decides in that moment well i'm going to adopt this boy i'm going to adopt this child And it's at that point that Moses' sister, she jumps out of where she's been observing in the reeds and she said, do you want me to go and get a nursing mother from the Hebrews so she can nurse the baby for you? Do you want me to go and get someone to breastfeed the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, sure. So Moses' sister takes Moses back to his mother and father, explains the situation, and Moses is able to be there until he's done breastfeeding and then he's adopted officially into the house. Of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh's daughter is now his adopted mother. And Moses spends his life living in the Egyptian palace. And this is where we're going to pick up the story tonight. We find that time had passed and Moses grew up. And in fact, a lot of time had passed. 40 years had passed, okay? Moses was middle-aged at this point in time. He'd grown up and he was kind of entering into that middle phase of his life. And we don't really know what provoked Moses to do this maybe he began to look at the people around him and he began to say hey, I'm not I'm not really like you like I kind of look and I kind of talk and I kind of think a little bit differently to you maybe Pharaoh's daughter told him that hey you're actually you're actually not an Egyptian you're an Israelite and maybe began to tell him some of his cultural stories but for the first time that we're aware of in 40 years Moses leaves the palace and he begins to travel Egypt And one of the things that he discovers as he's traveling Egypt is is this. He says, one day he went and saw his brothers, so not his literal brothers, but his like nation brothers, and he saw all that hard labor that they had been doing. He saw the oppression that they were under. He saw the slavery they were under. He saw all the fatigue that they had been experiencing. And then he saw an Egyptian hit a Hebrew, one of his relatives. Again, not, not like his immediate family, but one of his tribe. And something welled up inside of Moses, and he looked at that situation. He said, I've got to do something about this. I've got to break my people free from this slavery that they're experiencing. And this is how Moses went about it he looked this way and then that. And when he realized there was no one in sight, he killed the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. Okay, right, right idea, okay, right, right sentiment, like you want your people to be free of slavery, that's good, free of oppression, that's good, okay, free of all the beatings, that's good. Wrong execution, okay, wrong, wrong idea. We should go back to the drawing board. But Moses goes home that night thinking like, yes, I'm going to finally stand up to the Egyptians, we're going to get out of slavery, it's going to be great, people are going to lift me up, I'm going to be the man. And so Moses then the next day goes out to kind of continue this, like, hey, I'm the man, I'm doing this, I'm freeing my people, and this happens. The next day he went out again, and this time, two Hebrew men were fighting. Like two of, two of the crew, the Moses was like, hey, don't worry guys, I got this. And so he goes over to try to figure out what's going on. And he spoke to the man who started the fight and he said, why are you hitting your neighbor? And this was the man's response. He shot back, who do you think you are telling us what to do? Are you going to kill me? Like you killed the Egyptian? And in that moment... <clears throat> Moses had a glass-shattering moment where all of a sudden he had this idea of what he was doing. He had this idea of himself and all of a sudden it came crashing down. And Moses did what all of us do when we have one of those glass-shattering moments and our insecurities are laid bare for everyone to see. He panicked. He was like, oh my God, I've got to do something about this. This is not what I meant. Like, I didn't mean it like that and he's trying to protect himself. He panicked and words got now people know about this and so often that's the case with us when we when we panic we with when our insecurities rise to the surface we think everyone knows people know now what am i going to do about this and this is what moses did moses got away to the land of midian which is in the middle of the desert it is literally in the middle of nowhere moses escaped just over 450 kilometers away from Egypt, which would have taken him months to travel on foot or possibly by camel. And what we learn and what we can discover from Moses' story is that if if you don't address your insecurities, what ultimately ends up happening is that your insecurities will isolate you. Your insecurities will isolate you from your friends, your insecurities will isolate you from your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Your insecurities will cause you to want to disconnect from the places that you, want to, want you once you wanted to go. Gosh, that was tough to get out. Your insecurities will prevent you from asking for help. Your insecurities will prevent you from saying to people, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm really struggling and I could use a hand on how to navigate this situation. And I've seen it time and time and time again. When insecurities go undressed, we are unaddressed, we end up like Moses and we end up isolated. And I don't want that for you. And so this week, what I want you to do is just take five or ten minutes. Five or ten minutes, that's, that's it. And I want you to identify your insecurities. I want you to, if you journal, you got a piece of paper and a pen and that's the way you do it, if you just got it on your phone, I want you to begin to make a list. Start to list out, hey, what are some of the things, whoops, bumped that too early, what are some of the things that make me insecure? What are some of the insecurities that I'm wrestling with? Maybe this is an opportunity for you to pray to God and say, God, maybe would you show me some of the insecurities that I have within my own life? And if you're not a praying person, that's okay what you could do, and you could do this even if you're a praying person as well, you could go and you could ask someone that's really close to you. Or you could ask a couple of people and you could say, hey, what are my insecurities? Just be aware, they'll know. They will will probably have a list for you. But what are my insecurities? And I know that as soon as I say this, you're going to be thinking in your head, you're like, "Mm, that that doesn't sound like fun, Chris. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like a good time. Like that doesn't sound like something I'm looking at this week and like, yes, I really want to go out and I really want to get amongst that for Monday for this week. And I, and I get that because it's not comfortable to face your insecurities. But here's, here's what you also need to recognize is that you can't change what you refuse to confront. You can avoid, you can defer, you can pretend like it doesn't exist But in reality, you can never change what you refuse to confront. And here's the thing. If you don't change those insecurities and if you don't confront those insecurities, the only person who loses out is you. The only person who loses relationships is you. So as difficult as it is, I just want to encourage you to change or to confront this. Because Moses, his story just didn't end with him escaping to Midian. Moses' story actually ended, he stayed in Midian for 40 years. 40 years, he'd actually got a wife, he'd set up a family in Midian, and he stayed there hiding for 40 years. And then God actually shows up. God actually shows up and God says, hey Moses, remember that thing that you wanted to do, how you wanted to free the, 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 your people, your clan, your tribe from the nation of Israel, from slavery? He says, I know you've been thinking about it every day. I know this has been a big deal for you. Well, well, I want to give you an opportunity to go back and and actually free them. And Moses, because of the insecurities that have been tracking through his mind, this is Moses' response. Moses answered God, he said, but why me? Why? What makes you think I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Forty years on, Moses still hadn't addressed his insecurities. And 40 years on, though, we're still speaking to him saying, you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You can never make that step. And if that's you and you're kind of resisting and you're not sure about it, here's what I I need you to know before we wrap up tonight. That you're more than your insecurities say you are. It took a little bit of time, but God challenged Moses. God actually spoke into Moses' life and said, Moses, you're bigger than that insecurity. You're bigger than the way that you're looking at this situation. And Moses goes down in history, not as someone who ran away to a town of Midian, but as someone who released and got an entire nation freed from the biggest empire in the world at that time. And whatever your insecurities say about you, you've got a bigger story to write. There is more opportunity and a bigger story for you to write, but it'll begin with you addressing your insecurities. And I believe that God actually has a bigger story to write in your life as well. But it's going to take you addressing your insecurities. So my prayer for you this week is that you would address your insecurities. And then you would come back next week because Riley's going to be here and he's better looking and funnier than me. And he's going to tell you what to do after you've identified those insecurities. I'd love to pray for us though really quickly. Jesus, we, we thank you for the opportunity to Be in such a world and be in such a a place where we can actually have the luxury of identifying our insecurities. So many people live in in countries and and live in uh, a world where just staying alive is their biggest challenge. And so we thank you that it's really a privilege to be able to look at insecurities. And for those of us who maybe feel that tension, who feel that resistance, I pray that you would give us the courage this week to begin to address those insecurities so that we wouldn't end up isolated. And so that ultimately, we would begin to take steps to have healthier and better relationships. And as a result of that, we would just be better at life. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.